0: Glad you guys are here. Um, once again, I've said this several times, but I'm just so thankful for you guys for everything that you're doing. Um, looking over the survey that I sent out, asking um, who's meeting, how many are coming, that kind of a thing, got most of you responding, which was great. And um, it looks like we have an average, um, knowing that this is all pretty vague and um, and everyone just making a best guess estimate, kind of a thing. But it looks like we have about 200 adults on an average sunday in one of our backyard gatherings which is awesome and then another maybe 100 110 kids um so that feels great to me that feels like i there's a lot of people that still are not comfortable um jumping into a full-on meeting and uh and so you know there's people that are playing it safe and that are doing online and that's all great but it just makes me feel like man what we're doing here it's working and um, I know that you guys are getting tired most likely. Um, I think there's different degrees of it, but I've heard several of you say, um, let's, not, let's not get rid of the backyard gathering yet. And so just to give you guys a sense of what to expect um, before we have Mike share here, I, what we're gonna plan to do is we're gonna jump into um, some in-person meetings. And so that's gonna look like um, September 13th, we're starting our big, our like, first big gathering that we've had, um, aside from the parking lot night thing we've done. We're gonna do a a in-person big gathering Sunday morning, September 13th. We're gonna, the choice we have is between, it looks like we're gonna have a choice to do inside the building, um, but that comes with everyone's in masks. Um, We're max of a hundred people and no singing with that. And so that's something we kind of wrestle with a little bit, but the other option is we can do outdoors, We can go a little bit bigger than that. We can, um, And we can sing if it's outdoors because we're able to spread out and the ventilation's amazing. So um, it looks like right now we're all leaning towards, let's start with outdoors. The weather will probably be pretty good. Got a crack team of shade people that are helping me figure out shade for us in the parking lot and stuff. Um, John Prey and Joel Winger have been helping with that. So I think we have a great plan for that. So I'm looking forward to September 13th. We'll, We'll be almost for sure in the parking lot and, um, and I think it's just going to be a great time to just see each other on a bigger level in a way that we haven't in a while. So the idea is September 13th, what we want to do is not just roll over um, what we've built in our backyard gatherings. I still love the, the heart of that, the ethos of that, the culture of that. And so we're going to um, do September 13th, we're going to do every other Sunday Uh, in person. That's the, that's the plan right now. We haven't like fully committed if we do September 13th and there's like 10 people there and it's like awful, then we will not keep doing these, but I suspect that people are going to love it. So the idea is we'll do every other Sunday as a big gathering, every other Sunday backyard gatherings with you guys. And I hope that that gives you guys the break that you uh, probably need to just have a rhythm where there's still like some regularity to backyard gatherings, but you don't have to feel like you have to put something on every single time. And I think that'll be a good balance between us, um, in that smaller setting, caring for each other, and then us being able to have some of that bigger corporate worship. So, um, so that's where we're headed with that. And, um, and, and then I just want to say too, um, and I'm going to, I'll send something else, uh, something else out about this, but we have, um, as you know, we, you know, all year we struggled with, uh, money. We had our budget goals set and everything. And all year we were sending out, um, notices, just letting you guys know, Hey, we're not meeting our, our budgeted income. Um, so keep praying about that, keep giving, all that kind of stuff. Well, we never hit that, but we ended somehow miraculously with a um, large surplus, like $50,000 large. And so we were able to give immediately 10000 of that to um, our ministry partners in Bangladesh, which is amazing. Um, but the next step in us trying to figure out what we want to do with that surplus is um, the elders have decided to make a significant chunk of the um, of the surplus available to gospel communities and so what we'd like to do there is we believe that money is not just money that we should um hoard for ourselves it's not just money that we should tuck away um we decided let's let's find ways to tangibly bless our community and we think the best way to do that is through the gospel communities um so rather than a couple of us as leaders finding um a need or two we want to um look to you guys as gospel community leaders, look to your groups, um, and say, are there needs that you guys are seeing on the ground that some of this money that that you have all given that we as a church have collected, is there some ways that those could be used to bless people and further the mission, the the mission and, um, and just be a blessing to our community. So, um, I'll send out something about that, but what we're going to basically ask you to do is, um, look to the people around you, look, or gather up your group, whether you know just digitally or when you gather and just say, hey, what needs do we have? What needs can we meet? Is there something that we could use some money to bless? And we'll have some parameters around that. Um, but then we'll just have a form for you to fill out sort of applying and saying, hey, here's the need we're seeing. Here's how much money we could use to do that. And um, And then we've got a little committee of elders and staff to just look at that and and give a yes or no or work with you guys on what that looks like. So just want you to like be praying about that, be thinking about that. We'll send out some more specifics about it, but just wanted to kind of say, I mean, first off, praise God that we have, like, that. this is where we're at that in the middle of COVID in the middle of all this going on, God has blessed us with more than we need. And then let's just start dreaming about how the relationships that we have could be used to bless people that are, that are hurting, that need, that need a boost um, in the community around us. So, let me you know about that and you'll hear about it more soon. So, that said, um tonight our training is going to be led by Mr. Mike Jarrell, and um I'm thrilled to have Mike on here. Mike has been um, he's part of our he's evangelical free, so he's part of our denomination. Um he's a um he's just like a a, a guru to this like um, non-traditional church, micro church, missional church, like however you want to say it, he's Um, He's been great with it. And he's been, he's the director of Creo Collective, which is a subset of our denomination and and just like a really missional kind of forward thinking branch that really fits our ethos as Creekside. And so um, I'm excited to have Mike come in and just like share with us some and shape our thinking and push us ahead as we look at like, we're we're trying to carry this thing forward. We always need to improve. And what might that look like for this next season? And um, so Mike, if I could just hand it to you now, if you could just tell us, introduce yourself a bit and then take us where you want to go for tonight.
1: Yeah, sure. And you have to bear with me because, uh, I tend to be a little ADD so I'll pop all over the place, but hopefully we'll make sense of it all. Um, and it's been a long day. We, we, uh, traveled to a couple micro churches and one was led by an addict this morning who has come to faith and now has formed this community and it, it just super beautiful. Um, So I'll start a little bit with my story, give you a little backdrop. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia. So, you know, you got the Northeast section of the U.S. Very, uh, pretty much everyone around me now in our neighborhood, they're not a part of a church. Pretty much everyone I meet, not a part of a church and completely disinterested. I know you guys are on the on the West Coast, uh, Sacramento, pretty pretty close to you guys, right? Yep. So, um, your area is pretty irreligious, correct?
0: In general, but uh, actually, we're in like a, a really tiny conservative pocket, conservative, pretty religious. We're like in mega church central, so to speak, in some, in some small ways. So,
1: gotcha, gotcha, yeah. So, um, I did grow up in a church, walked away from my faith and, um, had a lot of questions and pretty much everyone in the church world that I would ask questions to, I could tell that they were, they were making up answers because they wanted me to believe. And it was actually, ironically, there was a guy who would say, I don't know to the questions that I would ask him. And I felt like I could trust this guy. Because he wasn't making stuff up, so he, uh, over the course of a summer, he brought me back to my faith over, over late night appetizers at, at, at an Applebee's, and so I came back to my faith and decided that I wanted to get involved in understanding my faith a little bit more. Went to Bible college and uh, was really bored with church. Um, I I found church services to be uh, sort of stale and not adventurous, Um, but I I wanted to engage my faith, but I wanted to have fun. And so I ended up getting involved with youth in Philadelphia, and youth ministries sort of blew up and had a whole bunch of students coming out Fridays, Saturdays, that sort of thing, and then landed a a full-time position as a youth director. Well, I realized that the best way to reach youth was to reach families because we had all these kids coming, but everything we did was undone. When they went home, uh, no father figure in the home, lots of drugs, lots of addiction, um, all, abuse, all kinds of crazy stuff. So I felt like I, I really need to invest in and impact families. So I ended up connecting with a, a church a couple hours west of Philly, um, north of Harrisburg, out in the country. Um, and it was a small group of people trying to start a church, uh, got got involved with that. And it, the church was meeting a group of people. church plant was meeting in a EMS building and a middle school. Well, the church grew uh, pretty rapidly. A couple years grew to around eight, 900 from 30 people in this school. And then we, got property. We were, um, in the process of building a 1500 seat facility, had, um, gymnasium and hiking trails and all that kind of stuff. So things sort of blew up, but it blew up because we were attracting people from other churches. We were Starbucks and the churches around us were Tom's coffee shop, right? So we had better goods and services or our band was better. Our lighting was better. Youth ministries, all that kind of stuff. So it was all transfer growth. And as we were growing, the churches around us were shrinking. We weren't really reaching lost people. And we weren't really making disciples. But we were growing churches around us were shrinking. Honestly, I felt felt sort of dirty about it. Because our church was growing, but not because we were reaching lost people. And I remember struggling, feeling like I was um, actually further from God than I had been in a long time while our church was, was growing numerically. And everybody would say things like the proof's in the pudding, look at our church, it's growing, look at the size, look at the numbers. And, um, at at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, "I, I don't really feel that people's lives are that much different than their neighbors Monday to Saturday. Um, I don't know that that any of these people are even understand what their gifts are and are experiencing fullness in their gifting and empowered out on mission to transform the neighborhood none of that and the the people that are occasionally coming in off the street that are irreligious aren't normally coming back and so I'm struggling with all this yet um, it sort of felt good for the the ego and pride as things were. Growing really quick. And EFCA said, okay, your, your church grew from 30, 40 to 850 a few years. So um, we would like you to share at the EFCA leadership conference about fast growth in sort of a rural country setting. And so I'm supposed to speak at this thing. In the meantime, I had been connecting with these, these guys uh, Guy Fritzdale, the EFCA told me about this, this group, of uh, the sort of the freaks of the EFCA is what, how he labeled it. That wasn't official. He said, these are like the freaks of the EFCA that think different about mission and disciple making and all that. And he said, you would love them. You would love them. You've got to connect with these guys. So I started, I started hopping on video and talking with these guys and they were doing stuff like house church movement in Iraqis and stuff in Berlin, Germany. And, um, uh, microchurch, missional community type stuff. And so we started talking, going back and forth. Well, I go out to San Diego to speak at this leadership conference. And I meet up with, with these guys when I'm speaking at the conference. It's a week before my wife and I's wedding, a week before I'm going to get married. And one of the guys, we had been on multiple video calls, said, hey, we want to take you out. You're getting married next week. We want to celebrate you. So can we take you out to celebrate you before your, your wedding? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we go out to this pub in, in San Diego called the Blind Lady Ale House. And so we're, we're sitting around in this pub, group of pastors and missionaries from all over the globe. Hold on one second. My son is screaming from his bed. I got to yell for his mom. Hold on.
0: Okay. Very relatable moment there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 1045 here. So uh, he's, he's screaming from the bedroom. So they take me out, um, about to get married the next week, take me out. And I'll never forget this night. I, I'm telling you, it was one of the most uh, impactful experiences of my life. I'm sitting around with these guys, crowded pub week before my wedding and we're laughing, telling stories. And, and the one guy said, Hey, with Mike getting married next week, I think it would be great if we all took turns and shared one piece of advice for Mike for his future marriage. So these guys go around the table, share one piece of advice for me. And it was great. It wasn't weird or tacky. It was really meaningful And then a little bit later, one of the guys said, "Um, why don't we all take turns and just share the the stupidest mistake that we've made in our marriages? And so these these guys go around the table and they just start confessing. And I'm telling you, some of the stuff was incredibly vulnerable. I mean, they're talking about major mistakes they've made. Some of it was funny. Whatever you do, never say this, never do this, right? I'll never make this mistake again. And so they're going around the table and we're laughing and there were tears. It was just incredible. And then one of the guys leaned over and as we're ordering some more food appetizers and the guy said, Hey Mike, just so you know, you get married next week, all your, all your food, all your drinks, they're on us. We just want to bless you. Uh, we got you covered. Just get whatever you want. Like, thanks man. So a little bit later, you know, as, as we're small talking, one of the guys said, I just really feel like the the Spirit of God has put it on my heart that we need to buy a round of beers for the table next to us. I'm like, okay. So this guy buys a round for the table next to us. And the guys at the table next to us said, Who are you guys? And the guy said, We're a group of pastors and missionaries. And the guy said, No, you're not. He said, No, yeah, we are. And he said, Would you like to join us? And the guy at the table next to us said, Well, I'm an atheist. And this guy said, I don't care. Like, just join us anyway. So this four top table of guys scooted their table onto our table and joined us. And they were treated like insiders. And we're laughing. We're talking with them. They're talking with us. They're talking about why they don't believe in God. The the guys at our table were talking about why they do what they do, why they believe what they believe. We're teasing each other, sort of making fun of each other a little bit, just having a great time, laughing, eating, drinking. It was great. So a little bit later, with these, with these new guys at the table, um, one, one was an atheist. Another one was an agnostic. One of the guys was burnt by the church. I don't know what the, what the fourth guy believed. But with these new guys at the table, one of the guys at our table said, hey, our buddy Mike here is getting married next week. So I hope you don't mind, but I think it would be great if we prayed this prayer of blessing for Mike for his future marriage. And the one atheist guy said, well, that sounds like a really meaningful idea. And so now they all start praying this prayer of blessing over me at this high top table in the middle of this crowded bar with all these people around us. And I sat back in my seat and I thought, I have never felt so loved by a group of Christians in my life. These guys like prayed over me. They blessed me. They bought my food and drinks. They shared advice with me. They confessed major mistakes that they've made and were vulnerable with me. We've got people at the table that aren't believers that are, that are hearing this and that are exposed to meaningful dialogue about faith and, people that are vulnerable and hospitable and they paid, they paid for these other people's drinks. And then I remember sitting there and I, I couldn't even hear anything else of the prayer. I just, I just started thinking about acts in the early church and they devoted themselves to breaking a bread and prayer. And there was generosity. They were taking care of each other's needs and, you, know, you you've got this uh, culture of confession. They confess their sins one to another. And, you know, I, I started I started just thinking through the early church and what they look like. And they met from house to house and all that. And I remember thinking, what does my church do? Well, we've got teaching, um, singing, and then giving. It's not even really generosity. It's more like just tipping or something. It's not really that extravagant but but we're not really reaching lost people the community isn't really strong other than high by you know maybe some people outside of the church not because the church created it but they they get a little close on their own over here um but including outsiders and bringing them around the table confession and vulnerability not really and so I, i started thinking i i think maybe in many ways this is a greater expression of the church than what I'm doing. And we've got lost people around the table that are curious about Jesus. And we've got believers that are loving each other and sharing with each other and praying over each other. So it just, it messed me up. I mean, it really messed me up. So I, I go, I go back home, we get married, we go on the honeymoon and I'm, I'm telling my wife about all this and, you know, mind you, she marries me, we, you know, I had just bought this house and we've got all this security, everything's good, church is growing, we're in a building project, all that. And I tell her on the honeymoon, (laughs) I really feel like God is calling us to leave this church and start like a blind lady Alehouse church or something. I don't know. But I feel like we're supposed to do something like this. And she, she said, yeah, yeah, me too. I, I agree with you. Um, so we go back to the church that I was at. I, I share my experience and I said, I really feel like, like I'm supposed to to go this direction or we're supposed to go this direction. And the church that I was at, you know, with the building campaign, they're like, what are we going to do with all this money? I said, what if we just gave it all away? What if we gave away the money that we were, that we had raised for this building project and took care of the poor in our community? We're like, well, what are we going to do with all the people that are coming in? We're like, well, we could start more services or plant more churches. And um, we talked a lot, but we were not on the same page then. And so we go back and forth and what are we going to do next? They wanted me to stay, but I really felt called to do this. They wanted to go the same direction they were going. So we decided to leave and start something new altogether. And um, we, we left and I said, I don't, you know, I'll work at Lowe's or whatever. I don't care. Like we just have to do this. We have to do this. It, it was kind of burned in me. And so we gathered a group of people. My wife's a real estate agent we gathered a group of people in our basement Um, Some friends she knew knew from real estate, a couple of my buddies. And I tried to preach them into mission. I'm like, hey, this is the experience I had at this pub in San Diego. You guys should go do that. (laughs) And none of them did it. They had no idea how to do it or what that looked like. And then I got very frustrated because nobody was living this stuff out. And they weren't obedient to Jesus or courageous or missional or whatever. And then I realized I had to do it with them. And so I gathered with a a group of friends and we started going out for wing nights and gathering people on our porch and having meaningful spiritual dialogue. And eventually it took a while, but eventually we formed uh, um, at the time we called it a missional action group because we said we want to be on the mission of Jesus. We want to take action and we're a group of people. And one group turned into two, turned into three. I'm going to way fast forward now. It's been eight years. Um, And now we have 20, now we call them micro churches, with about 350 people that are a part of those 20 micro churches. Um, We also accidentally planted a church in Philly. And then they planted another one in Delaware. And then we planted another one in Maryland. And we just planted another one here. We have five churches, uh, which are all collections of groups of micro churches. Almost everyone that's part of our church were not believers before they became a part of what we do. Um, we had the the former Director of the American Atheist Association for the state of PA that was connecting with us. Our house had five uh, former addicts, or they were addicts at the time, coming into our home. One had uh, atheist, or one was an atheist with demon tattoos all over her head, and her tongue split like a snake, and suspensions in her back, and that created a little bit of stir in the neighborhood for sure that she was coming into our home and she brought her, her drug dealer into her home. He confessed to arson the week before when we had our time of confession. So that was interesting, but we saw these people come to faith. Actually the girl who was the atheist heroin addict came to faith. I baptized her in the public pool around the corner. She quoted Tupac at her baptism and then yelled freedom like Braveheart brave when she came out of the water, a whole bunch of addicts were it was, it was crazy.
0: What was the Tupac quote?
1: <laughs> I forget. I, I have it written down. I've got the video of it. I'll have to show you. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a ride. I mean, our kids have, have seen a different, a different image of, of church, um, they, they've probably seen ten or fifteen people come to faith just in our home, which has been cool. We've done baptisms in our living room. Um, really, just just some neat some neat stuff. And then a number of the people that have come to faith are are now not only have they started micro churches, but they're coaching other churches, established churches. Pastors are coming in from around the country and being coached by people who seven eight years ago were atheists. And now they're now they've multiplied micro churches uh, themselves. So it's been it's been really a super interesting ride. We've paid off people's debts. We've had people in our micro church um, being given ten thousand dollars this past year to cover medical bills by other people in their micro church. Um, people have taken people in to live with them, um, taking kids in it's uh, given vehicles all kinds of crazy stuff so it's that that's a little bit of the backdrop on you know kind of what we're up to and a little bit of my story and where i came from and i can give you i have plenty of tools when it comes to how we we do all this but if you'd like to ask questions or respond to my initial story i'm happy to do that before i go on
0: If anyone's got a question or something you want to throw out there, just unmute and ask it. I kind of got a question for you. We, we've we kind of talked about this model of taking things from a public space into a sacred uh, um, brain, brain farting, but public into social into sacred space. Do you find that that kind of matches how you would see people coming into your micro churches? Is it, just people you know that you're already interacting with that eventually kind of come to church or is it just like a random person that you meet at the bar or wherever else that you're inviting them there that you didn't really have a social relationship with prior to it or how, you know what's the percentages of people like that in your micro
1: churches yeah so each of our micro churches do something that we um we, we sort of describe it, describe it as creating or using or utilizing different environments, right? So it's very important that you define what the environment is. Nobody wants to show up to a barbecue and then it turns into a Bible study and they feel tricked. And so you have to, to clearly define what the environment is or people feel like it's a bait and switch, um but if you define the environment we we use the language of party um table and vip room and so we say the the party space we say people who don't know jesus will party with you and they will serve with you so we describe the party space as party and serve they'll they'll come to a barbecue they'll um watch a sporting event they'll go see a band they'll do things like that um, you know, then as people show curiosity about the faith, we create what we call like a table space, which could be a fire pit where, where you can share your stories or people can ask questions about faith or um something like that. And but you have to define it. If if someone starts to show some faith curiosity, you go, hey, we we're having a few people over, we're gonna have a fire. Um, thought we could talk about some of your faith questions. But you you make it very clear that that's what you're going to do and they know what they're stepping into. And then the, the third environment is what we call like a VIP space. And this is where spiritual formation, prayer, strategy for mission, developing people in their gifting, all that kind of stuff happens in that third space. So every microchurch plays with or uses all three of those types of environments. Does that make sense? Um, but but they do it differently. I I have a graphic for it. I can I can show you. Uh, I can show you that I didn't just make that up on the spot. There you go. So party serve table VIP. I can I'll send all this to you, Mark. That you can pass on. It's kind of awesome. different environments that we use and mess around with. And every every church is different too. Um, some of them, their party spaces like we got one group that does dance parties and they're pretty good at dancing. And so they'll have a DJ and dance parties and lots of people hanging out. And then they they actually found out that they have more attraction connecting with people through kids dance parties. And so one of their children said, we want a dance party. So they put on a dance party for kids. And then tons of people from the neighborhood came and they did these dance parties with the kids and then neighborhood businesses were pitching in to pay for prizes for the kids. And, you know, then they're connecting with all these families and building relationships. People are showing or talking about stuff naturally because we say you don't push your faith. You just don't hide it. And so when you're hanging out and you're friends with people and you're talking about regular stuff or life and people are asking how you know each other and you say, oh, we're part of the same church, all that kind of stuff, Um, conversations happening, you say, you should come over. We'll talk about that sometime. So you create another space for that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, dance parties, board games, uh, people have created faith, faith at the pub nights, brunch, like brunch church kind of stuff um people have taken on their neighborhoods and are doing things in the neighborhood recovery uh sporting events all that kind of stuff so it the the first space the party space is different people are doing 5ks sometimes things like that um all kinds of sky's the limit when it comes to creativity and ideas people are doing all kinds of cool stuff
0: I just want to clarify Those are all great ideas, but Andrew Higgins, you're not allowed to do the dance party one. Okay. You, you do not want to see me at a dance party. That'd be a bad dance party. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Every, everyone's different. I mean, if you think about your, where you're naturally at, like, what do you like to do? Um, What are your hobbies and interests? Where do you work? So one guy said, where, where I work, I'm just going to bring donuts in every week and bless my workplace because we all work night shift and so he had donuts and said hey if anybody needs prayer i'll pray for you and they started having a group of people eating donuts together he's praying for some people ended up forming a second space where people were starting to ask questions and then ended up with a micro church out of that out of out of the workplace really cool another couple um He's, he's sort of um, socially awkward. He's uh, got some autism or something going on. And she's uh, sort of eccentric. And, you know, they're a young married couple, but they're really into board games. And they would have these board game nights and invite all these different people out. And when I asked them about their microchurch, they said, yeah, we've got an atheist, a Wiccan. Um, you know, we've, we've got this, this guy who's a polygamist that's coming out. And he brings one of his wives and we're trying to connect with the other wife. And then they said, um, uh, she said, I'm trying to invite this. And she mentioned this girl's name, but, but Fletcher doesn't want me to, to, to bring her. And he said, she's weird. He said, she sniffs people. And he said, yeah, she said, yeah, he does sniff people. (laughs) Or yeah, she does sniff people. And so they've, they've got all these like, interesting people that they're connecting with but it's but it's working and they're reaching people they're seeing people come to faith they're making disciples but they're connecting with people that i wouldn't connect with but every, everyone's sort of starting with um i've got a yard and a neighborhood and kids i'm going to connect with families kids in my yard in the neighborhood or i've got a brewery uh, one of our guys opened up a brewery distillery coffee shop And his purpose was for mission. And um, the the buddy that he teamed up to open the place with was a former Navy SEAL. And so it's called Tattered Flag Brewery Distillery. And uh, when COVID hit, they actually turned their brewery into a hand sanitizer factory. And so they they served the whole community. The White House actually ordered some of their, their hand sanitizer. They were serving the whole community and first responders and all that kind of stuff. And really they've seen several people come to faith. They would do uh sort of faith at the pub nights and all that kind of stuff. Um, he would hire people for the purpose of mission. When, when waitresses would get stiffed, he'd, he'd pull a hundred bucks out of his own pocket to just bless a waitress that got stiffed and they're crying going, why would you do this? And he's like, this is, this is what we do because this is what Jesus has done for us. So, um, that, that influences how I run my business. So everyone's sort of thinking about, um, whatever they, some people have their kids and activities and we say, you don't need to, you know, do something on mission or with faith outside of your kids' activities. You could take on your kids' sports team as a way to be on mission. And so, so some of these families are saying, we're, I'm going to coach, I'm going to be a team mom. We're we're going to take on this team. They'll throw parties for the team, pray for the team, um, do stuff on the weekends, hang out afterwards, go for ice cream, meet needs of some of the kids on the team, um, have seen people come to faith. Really, really incredible kind of stuff. But a lot of it is just figuring out how to connect with the people that you're already uh, surrounded by, whether it's work, play, sports. Hobbies, hobbies and interests, just kind of looking at where you're currently at. Our neighborhood has been has been that for us. I mean, we moved in here, and sometimes it's the p- people that you would least expect. And we moved in, and we, we thought that we knew who we were going to connect with right away when we moved into this neighborhood about eight years ago, um, met the guy across the street, and You know, he's he's sort of a put together guy who is really into sports, kids around the same age as my kids. And I thought this guy is totally going to be an elder at our church. No doubt about it. I'm going to reach this guy. He's going to come to faith. He's going to be a rock star disciple maker. Didn't work out that way. But three houses up, the guy who works at the railroad and he's got this big old Jesus beard rough around the edges became one of my closest friends. Aunt Cindy, if you picture uh, Melissa McCarthy, she's Melissa McCarthy, loud, boisterous, kind of obnoxious, crass sense of humor. She's become Aunt Cindy and um, comes over to our house and is wild, hits on every guy there. Um, Crazy, crazy kind of woman. And then uh, then I got Ben, who's who's down the middle street here. He usually has his shirt off, Philly's hat on backwards. Um, calls me the F word is his nickname for me. He's like, hey, what's up, Effer? How's it going? I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? He's like, come on over. And he's become one of my best friends. He went through a cancer battle, opened up to me. Um, you know, we, we would hang out on his... Uh, in his driveway, he'd have these fire pits and I'd hang out with him and some of the other guys in the neighborhood. And this is just kind of fun. If you think about just seeing where you're already at as mission, Um, we, we don't have to push our faith or try to get them to come to church. But if you, if you just see your neighborhood as mission, so I'm, I'm standing around a fire pit and all the guys would started complaining about their wives so the one guy says, well, well, my wife is da-da-da-da, starts talking smack on his wife. Then the next guy says, well, you think that's bad? My wife, boom. Then the next guy's like, well, try being married to the same one for 20 years. Boom, drop something else. And then my my neighbor looks at me like it's my turn. And I'm like, I actually kind of like my wife. And he said, yeah, well... But can't she be it? And then he says the B word, right? I'm like, well, yeah, sure, but I can, I can be a jerk. And The guy is like, yeah, well, cheers to that. And then all of a sudden, all the guys start confessing how they could be jerks to their wives, and it turned into this weird time of confession around the fire pit with all the neighbor guys. And none of these guys are believers. So then, two weeks later, my neighbor texts me and he says, hey, uh, why don't we go out for wings? And so we go out for wings and he starts talking to me about his marriage problems and asking questions because of that fire pit night. And while we're out, it just so happens that someone from our micro church is at the bar and pays for our tab. He's like, why would he do that? Right? So it's just opportunity for these people to see the the type of life that we live and regular life. Yeah. So that's, that's just a little, gives you a little picture
0: what is uh what does a sunday morning look like you, you you mentioned like you're you're bringing in neighbors you have kids you have i'm guessing multi-generation so like how do you bring everyone to the same i guess table or whatever on a sunday morning and like uh speak truth into your into your young kids at the same time as you're speaking truth into a more seasoned, uh, individual?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I talk about the three environments, we, we had, uh, we have three, about 350 to 400 people in our, in our 20 micro churches. That's, that's our primary expression of churches, those micro churches. When I say 350 to 400, that's the people in the VIP spaces. So if you think about Party space, it's way beyond that. We have so many people kind of in our orbit, but these are the people that we're really discipling, or those 350. Um, and the kids are a part of that too. I mean, they're serving with us, they're praying with us, they're eating with us. Um, uh, some of the groups, every group does things a little different with the kids. Some do story time. Sometimes uh, different parents will take turns leading. Um, you know uh, sort of like a time of teaching instruction games all that um, some of the groups they're the, the primary way that they're on mission is through the kids because because the kids will open up avenues to all kinds of families and kids um, so that that's missional strategy for a lot of them uh, but in that third space the, the disciple making is actually better than anything I've ever seen. Um, it's, it's so much better than what we used to do just, just on Sunday morning. And what I mean by that is the kids are serving with us. They're getting rejected by people that they're on mission to. They're eating and praying with us. They're seeing people that are far from Jesus that are coming to faith um you know we've we've had criticism from people like our neighbors across the street when they would see all these addicts that were coming into our house prostitutes they, they would be like when you bring they actually said this to my wife when you bring people like that into your home you bring them into our neighborhood like don't you have somewhere where you can put them and i'm like <laughs> my wife and i are like These people are our family and you guys are welcome around our table too, but they can come here whenever they want. And so there were, I mean, we've had rumors in the, in the neighborhood because of the types of people we've had into our home. Uh, We had people accuse us of running drugs in the neighborhood of running sex parties, all kinds of crazy stuff because of the people that were coming into our home. And, you know, we had never been persecuted for righteousness sake. Until we started doing this, we learned you can love people like way out there, but when you love them that close, like in your own house, the way that we do, um, th- that's when you start getting the, the the criticisms and critiques and all that. But I got to say, um, I have found that most Christians don't even know what their spiritual gifts are. They they, they don't even know if you think about Ephesians four and apest. And most people don't even know what that is or, or how they're called by God to, to live out their calling on mission in the world. Most people don't even know that. And, and so you go, wait a second, we've got, we've got all these people who, who have never made a disciple, who have sat in church for decades. They've never even made a disciple. And I'll speak to churches of five, six hundred people, thousand people and say, how many of you have made a disciple? And you get 10 people. And you go, We have one job. Go and make disciples. And if if we're not making disciples, then we're not actually being effective. In fact, can can we even call ourselves a disciple if we're not making disciples? Because Jesus was a disciple maker. So if we're not making disciples and we don't even know what our what our gifts are, what our calling is, then that's a that's a problem. We're actually not forming people into Christ's likeness. So I'm looking at what we do in our, in our VIP environments. Everyone in our, in our micro church can tell you what their, what their giftings are and they operate in them, which is really incredible. All of them are investing into someone where they're discipling someone, reading scripture together, processing their faith together. All of them are taking action. And, and so I can talk about the rhythms that we do together. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, if you picture it this way, if you think about the, the church as a team, if you think about your church as sort of a team and you go, if your team doesn't know if you're a, a running back or a quarterback or a wide receiver, how are you going to score touchdowns? How are you going to be effective as a team? If you don't even know what position you are, and most people don't even know what position they are, but we think about our, our micro church specifically, we've got teachers, We've got apostolic people that are, you know, small A, aposto- apostolic, uh, Greek word apostolo, sent sending missionary, entrepreneur. So we've got people starting businesses for mission. And you've got prophetic types that are fighting human trafficking, that are helping people in porn recovery, that are, uh, you know, standing up for drug addiction and abused spouses and all that kind of stuff. So you've got your, your prophetic types that are really engaging some of these issues You've got evangelists who are planning parties and thinking about how we can party and serve with people to connect with people that don't know Jesus. You've got shepherds that are caring for people, listening to people, counseling people, loving people, supporting people all through the week, taking them food, meals, delivering things. It's unbelievable. And you've got teachers telling stories to get, I mean, we really need everybody and and so we'll look around in our micro church and collectively at, we need every person there to help us accomplish the mission. We need every person there to help us reach lost people, care for the needs of those people. I mean the needs are heavy. They really are. And there's a lot of stuff we're we're dealing with on a weekly basis. We got people coming in. If if you're working with the harvest, you got people coming in that have incredibly messy lives. And so it isn't just the evangelists that are reaching them. The shepherds have to care for them and help them through their divorce issues. And, you know, the fact that they can't pay their bills and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but when I think of, of depth, it's a combination of, of learning and information, but it's also a, a question of application. And the kids are walking this stuff out with us. I, I think we tend to think about um, Bible study as being deeper than than practice or application, right? And I, I think we have to get away from that idea that that somehow learning about community is more spiritual than experiencing community. Or a Bible study on evangelism is more spiritual than hanging out with atheists on a Friday night. Right. But if if we start to understand that the practice of these things together, it that it, it becomes a part of who you are. Your faith becomes even richer. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. I'll show this to you. It's I, I think a really incredible chart. Um, but it's this is about um this is about retention, learning and retention. That If you think about how, how people retain something, it becomes a part of, of who they are, shapes them. 90%, you retain 90% of something if you teach other people, right? You think about Jesus sending the disciples out very early on in Paris, go out, teach other people, live this out, you know, go to this town. Um, you think about practice together. Right? If, if we're living this stuff out together as a group, we're serving these people, we've got a group of people around my, my patio, whatever it is, it, it's going to stick with you. It's going to be, become a part of who you are. You discuss it with a group of people, 50% retention rate. Now, if you go all the way up to the top lecture, 5% retention rate, you think about the ministry of Jesus, most of what he did, um, he sent people out to teach other people. Everything you saw and heard of me, practice these th- things, teach other people, send them out. As the Father sent me, I send you, i go, right? So you, you have that uh, Spurgeon, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. We're all sent to go teach others, get it out there. And and the practice of these things together in discussion with a group of people. But but think about most discipleship in the Western church is is just lecture to a group of people who sit in rows and forget most of it right but if you think about the depth of how how do we actually form people into christ likeness they're they're going to get it if they're if they're living it out with us same thing with our kids i mean our our kids get it they can articulate our vision they can tell you what their gifts are right and they're 12 8 and 5 It's amazing so yeah that's that i don't know if that answers your your question we did have a Sunday gathering, but right, uh, we got rid of it. I travel around to different micro churches every week and do a live Zoom from a different micro church every week. And other micro churches can either do their own teaching or tune into the live Zoom. And then we have musicians from other micro churches that tune into the Zoom and provide music. And every microchurch is doing food and hanging out together and inviting neighbors to watch parties or doing their own thing. They're, they're not all necessarily on there because we have multiple gifted teachers. So you got different environments where there, there's live teaching going on on Sunday. Uh, people do different things with kids. And so they have the, the freedom and flexibility to be creative. Does that answer the question?
0: Very helpful. Thank thank you.
1: Mike, can I, um, can I
0: bump up Lisa here asked um, about training the disciples to become leaders, which is, I think a great question. Like, are are we modeling for them as their members in the micro VIP church or do you have specific leadership training for them? I'd be curious to hear that process of helping the members of the group find their gifting, like you were describing. And uh, I would assume that happens in the VIP space, but just would love to hear like on the call here, what, we're, what we have is the gospel community leaders, right? So they're wanting to not just do all the work themselves, but empower um, everyone in their group to be a family and be part of this. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so the first thing that we do with, uh, with gifting is we, we use APEST. Are you guys familiar with APEST? Apostle, prophet, have- evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Good. We have we have some
0: familiarity with it, but probably
1: not across the board. So it's from Ephesians
0: four, like you were saying. It's the descriptions of types of ministry, types of gifted ministers, right? That he describes.
1: Right, right. So so we see we see past as um, um, so Ephesians four is the only gifting passage that says that those gifts were given by Jesus to the church, not by the Spirit and so so, if you think about um apostle as sort of your entrepreneurial missionary sent- sending all that uh your your prophet is calling people back to faithfulness to God and standing up against evil and brokenness and um, prophetic mystery, evangelists as your good news people that are that are inviting people in reaching people um sharing sharing the gospel with them. You yeah, your shepherds who are caring for people, your teachers who are sharing stories and helping people understand the truth in deeper ways. And then, and then you think, okay, how do the other giftings fit into that? Um, I'm giving you a super abbreviated, like rundown. So we can talk about this in more depth because I'll do like two day trainings just on giftings, but you go, um, what, how, how does some of the other passages like Corinthians fit in with giftings and So if you think of your, your apest calling like a a evangelist um, as sort of like a, you know, like a belt, like a tool belt, and you would say in the tool belt of the evangelist gifting, I have a hammer, which is hospitality. So hospitality enables me to be a good evangelist because I create a spread around the table. Right. So, so the other giftings, um, like discernment, like prophecy. So you think about all these. How how does the Spirit empower us to live out of our calling? Because the word for for gifting in Ephesians four is actually calling. So how does the Spirit empower us to live out of our calling? Well, you know, through these different ways. Does that make sense? So we help people discern discern that the best the best APEST test that I've seen Alan Hirsch put together on Five um, Q Central. Alan's a real good friend of mine. I think his test is best one that I've seen. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's 10 bucks. It's not much, but it's very, very in depth. Um, so we help people understand their, their gifting calling and then, and then together out of, out of the gifting and calling, we, um, we walk through rhythms together in our third space. Are you guys familiar with discipleship rhythms do that? Run, run us through, Mike. Okay, sure. So the concept is, you know, if, if, if you think about um, always be prepared to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. And you think most believers aren't really asked, tell me about the hope that lies within you. Because people aren't saying... Tell me about the hope that lies within you because you attend church services and you're moral, right? However, um, what are some things we would do in our lives in following Jesus that would be a countercultural breath of fresh air that would cause people to ask questions? What, what about our life would, would make us questionable as followers of Jesus? It would cause people to go, why do you do that? What that's different. I, that's not what I'm used to, be, because we follow Jesus. And so for us, we came up with these rhythms that we, we use an acronym called REACH. And in our microchurch third space, in our VIP space, we, we talk about these themes, which is rest, eat, act of love, confess, and home. And the reason we picked those is we thought in our, in our world, in our culture, everybody's busy, 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 go, go, go nonstop all the time. If you ask people, how are you doing there? They say, good, busy, right? A lot going on. And so we say to follow Jesus means that we we're free to rest. We don't have to be so busy all the time. We can take a day off. We can take a nap. We can slow down, slow down with God pray, reflect, rest, read, take a break. Um, So rest became one of our rhythms that that we'd say we should be the the most rested people. When people ask us how you doing, we go, you know, good. I'm actually feeling kind of refreshed and and good and healthy. And we're able to be that. And then we say to follow Jesus means that we eat with people like Jesus ate with people. We eat with people who share our faith, we eat with people who don't share our faith. We eat with all the types of people Jesus ate with, the prostitutes and tax collectors and, you know, Pharisees and Samaritans across the board. Um, so we're going to eat with with whoever. Uh, and then we say, act of love. We're going to bless people each week and, and ask God... You know, what are the needs around me? What are the needs of my neighborhood? What are, the, what are the needs of my workplace? Who are you calling me to bless? And in what ways can I meet these needs? And then we say, um, you know, it's a breath of fresh air in a culture where everybody wants to uh, defend themselves and attack other people. It's a breath of fresh air if we're a community of confession, that we're, we're the gospel frees us. From the need to pretend that we're impressive and so we get to come together collectively and say isn't it great that jesus picks up the tab isn't it great that our sin is covered and that and that we're loved even though we're broken and imperfect and so we come together and talk about where we feel like we screwed up or where we feel like we fell short or where we feel inadequate and then we talk about home life. How are, we, how are we growing together as a family? How are we discipling our children? How are we as a family living on mission in our community? So when we get together in our, in our VIP environment, we're talking about these reach rhythms each time that we get together. Then we're talking about how we're going to take action together as a group and APEST is a huge part of how this stuff plays out. So whenever we talk about how we want to um, do some sort of party serve event, we're we're getting everyone involved with APEST gifting on. Okay, so and so has some needs. Shepherds, help us here. You know, we're trying to plan this party. Evangelists, help us think about how who we should be inviting and how how we could pull this off the best way possible. Um, But we're getting everybody involved. Prophets, who are we missing? And the prophets are going, ah, everyone looks just like us. Why don't we have more diversity? Are we selectively missional? Are we only hanging out with people that are like us? Are there people in your neighborhood that you're overlooking? And so the prophets are helping us think about those type of things. But yeah, every time we're in our third space, it's reach rhythms, um, passages of scripture, communion, prayer. And and we're really calling out Apests together, and that's a time of strategy for us. Usually, a couple hours every week. So the discipleship's actually very, very intense. And and the coaching with our micro church leaders happens once a week over Zoom. So we we can hop on a Zoom call for an hour with a group of micro leaders, help them process. Uh, the three different environments that they're creating, how, how the discipleship environment and VIP settings going, you know, what's missing, what their challenges are. Take notes. And once every six to eight weeks, we put together a Saturday morning training based on the notes to help people figure out how to be more effective with their microchurch. Is that helpful? Cool. Super helpful. Here I'll show you this. Yeah, so this is reach rhythms. I can send that to you.
0: That poor confess guy, man. The poor really
1: confess guy. He looks really down, doesn't he? Yeah.
0: That's, <laughs> a, that's a COVID-19 <laughs> meme if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Hey, is, is this, I think I missed something. Are we just asking questions if we have questions? Is that what this time is?
1: Yeah, go, go for it. I do better with, with interactive anyway. So um, great. do all
0: your leaders, um, you said like a microchurch leaders, do they all have other jobs that they they do? And they're like, so this is not
1: their, they're not like full pastors, right? Yeah. All of them have other jobs. Okay. Yep, including me. <laughs> hmm. and, and Creo is, is, uh, is 60, 60% by bi- vocational or co-vocational. Um, most of the people that are doing this are, are not getting a, a full-time paycheck, for sure. All
0: right, a couple of questions. Uh, my name's Steve, I guess you can see that. Uh, two questions, actually. One's pretty tired, I'm sure, but uh, thinking about you know how things change for your guys' groups and how you interact uh, with the community with COVID. And then second, you know, is there a time that
1: all your groups interact together, or are they for the most part, uh, you know, on their own? Yeah. Great question. Um, one of the one of the cool things is if if people most of our micro churches that have started the the people that started them used to be in a different micro church, and so they ended up launching out or starting something else together. In fact, we have it in our DNA that um, you're we tell people from day one. Um, and a year from now, either I'm going to leave or you're going to leave, but we're not going to stay together. So multiplications in the DNA, like I'm going to go, you're going to go, somebody's going to go. But if, if we're doing our job, we're, we're multiplying, we're going out, we're forming something new. Um, but the cool thing is we can team up to do some sort of service thing together in the community. We can throw larger parties that include multiple micro churches, picnics, gatherings at parks, things like that stuff for the kids. Um, so we do stuff like that frequently. We, you know, we'll do stuff like, uh, uh, like a worship night on somebody's porch with two or three micro churches and some musicians hanging out outside and, you know, somebody's business or restaurant is providing the appetizers and we're hanging out for the night, stuff like that. So you can get creative with how you want to do that, whether you want it to be multiple groups or the whole movement wide thing. Once a month, we're pulling everybody together for a big um, movement wide gathering, which is primarily just music and food and um, opportunity for people to be prayed over. Does that answer the question? yeah for sure uh the second question has that changed for you guys uh oh yeah over? yeah 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 um yeah, some of our some of our micro churches are have stayed online because you get some people that are really concerned about health um we have several people that have battled cancer in the past or have really compromised systems that for being extra cautious. And they're able to gather like this on Zoom, which is cool. And they've gotten creative with coffee shop nights or pub nights on Zoom. And they hop on the windows and just hang out. They'll do games, game nights over Zoom. So they're doing stuff like that. But uh, one of the cool things is with the smaller settings, a lot of our micro churches are saying we are fine with getting together at so-and-so's house on the porch and hanging out. So it, it just depends from microchurch to microchurch. But the beauty is the, the, that we're smaller. We're like ninjas. There's a flexibility where you can do things that, that just a larger thing isn't able to do. I, I think hearing you guys talk about the porch parties and all that, is that what you called it?
0: I don't think anyone used that term, but we're going to now.
1: Yeah, we can okay. now. <laughs> Yeah, so I—I I mean, you're—it's—it's it's really the—the the ability to be speedboats instead of a cruise ship. To be smaller, you can do a lot of things that a, a bigger organism can't do, and so you can get places and go places and do things that. Um, I mean, honestly, we've grown. We've—we've we've got three or four. Uh, Potential micro churches that are forming right now during covid so it's it's actually it's been kind of neat It's really cool cool I appreciate that thank you
0: yeah Mike could you help us process this so um you, you know so we're like a we're still a pretty traditional church in most ways, but the the gospel communities have been the heart of the church for at least the last few years, and this this missional side of it is one where we I think continue to grow. And with COVID, kind of as you're saying, like that, this has been the the biggest blessing for us is when COVID hit, um, we were able to move into something that I think was a lot more um incarnational, embodied, um, real life than than simply live streaming a service, which a lot of churches um have done, and and everyone's just doing the best they can, obviously. But we we love this missional gospel community side to it. I would say for, for us, so these, these folks here have been um, gospel community leaders for a year to three years, depending on who it is. I would say a common thing that we have for us is what comes most naturally to us is leading a group of people that um, does well on the relational side. Like we, we are a family and that smaller expression of church, you know, um, has been real healthy. Um, and we have seen success in outreach in inviting people into porch parties. Um, we've seen some with like inviting people into Sunday morning church. Now that we're doing backyard Sunday morning gatherings, that kind of a thing. But um, but I would say the the biggest area we need to grow as a group of gospel community leaders is in lighting that fire under our under our groups to um, to just have that that like outreach side that that like. Friday wings and, and, you know, pub night and all that kind of stuff. And so I wonder, I wonder, like, if you could just kind of give us some challenge and encouragement, I I would say, so some of our groups are better than others. Some of our groups, we have a few people that are very missional in how they choose to live. And then we also have some people that are like, hey, I'm just kind of in this for a Bible study kind of a thing. And, um, and so, yeah, what, how would you like, how would you kick us in the seat how would you like nudge us forward what kind of wisdom would you give us to try to engage in that side of things kind of knowing where we're coming from here
1: yeah yeah i mean i'd say start with mission honestly and, and i i think if you think about um uh well start with jesus but but jesus then was on mission and sent the disciples on mission and then mission de- determines what church community looks like. And we get, the, we get that whole thing backwards. We think that you start with church and then try to go on mission. But that's not, that's not how missionaries operate. Think about anywhere else around the world. If you send a missionary to Berlin or Africa, well, you start with mission, and then the mission determines what your church is going to look like. We're not talking about the gospel message, but the gospel message contextualizes, right? It does the same thing where you're at as well. So if if you, if you start with mission, you go, what does church look like for these people? What are their idols? What are their challenges? How do they need to be discipled? What does church look like for my neighborhood, for my workplace, for the people around us? Start with mission. Don't start with church and then try to go on mission. Start with mission and mission will help you figure out how to disciple your people. Um, so I I just I think we get the order, the order backwards. Jesus, mission, church. Uh coaching is huge, honestly. Like regular ongoing coaching where you're constantly asking. We do low control high accountability where we're saying, what are you guys doing? What's planned next? How are you going to be on mission? Um, Who, who is God breaking your heart for? What are, what are those relationships? We want to hear stories. We're asking for stories all the time. If people don't have stories, it's just theory and ideas. It's not, it's not really happening without stories. So low control, high accountability is a huge value for us. go, do something but we want to we want to hear the stories constantly um so yeah i mean that the biggest kick in the butt i can give is like that you talk about it all the time I, honestly the if people are if if you are living on mission and engaging people that are far from jesus your bible studies are going to be better they will because if if you've got atheists that are sitting around the table with you, they're asking questions that are challenging your faith in a way that people that all agree with you are not challenging you. And so there's something about if you, if you do a Bible study on apologetics with a bunch of believers, um, it's all theoretical and kind of stale. But if you've got these people that are sitting around on your porch that, that are arguing with you and don't believe what you believe. And they're asking very challenging questions. And then you're going back and reading two or three books on it and asking each other, Hey, have you ever heard this question? What do you think about this? It actually brings, takes your faith to a deeper level and, and, and brings the dialogue into this greater depth in life than it ever could have been if it was just hanging out with a bunch of people that, that share your, your faith. So I would say mission actually takes you to a a deeper level of, of understanding in your faith. If you start with mission, it's, it's going to, it's going to take you there. It really is. In fact, if, if you just, if you sit around with a group of people and, and talk about loving each other, right. But, um, but that's it. It's sort of safe. It's cozy. It's in a, it's in a living room with couches and nice coffee and, you know, some pastries, right? That's one experience. However, if you're on, if you're on mission and together you've got, you've got these people that are, that are deeply hurting and wounded. I mean, my, my wife never would have pictured herself knocking on the door of a drug house, like banging on the door of a drug house because there's a girl in our microchurch. That's, that's a, was a prostitute and got really like fell back into, into drug addiction again. But my wife is knocking on a door of the drug house because her friend is in there. And so it's not that she wanted to be, adventurous or listen to this person's problems or all of that just for the sake of doing it it's she made a friend and now her friend is in this really terrible vulnerable position and i'll do whatever it takes to love my my friend now she's banging on the door trying to get in there and she's going along with this girl's sponsor and pulling her out and it, thank God this this woman's life is spared she's come to faith she's making disciples she just wrote a post that was beautiful tonight that everyone was liking just absolutely beautiful so it I, I think we does that answer the question
0: yeah absolutely, is that helpful man. absolutely cool so we're getting close to the end here um and I just want to give you guys a chance if there's um anything you've been dying to ask next steps from here. um, Mike and I are going to try to record a couple of um, podcasts too. We're going to try to keep that podcast kind of breathe some new life into it and try to process some more stuff just to give, keep you guys thinking just like Mike's doing tonight to kind of stretch our imagination for it's easy for us to get in a rut of this is how we're doing things. And I think, especially now that we've added that Sunday morning element into it, I think it becomes easy for us to just like we do in, when we gather in large settings to just get in a run of this is what we do every time. So, um, so I would like us to continue to have our imagination stretched, to continue to have our hearts pulled towards, Oh, this is possible. Oh, that could be way easier than I think. And for us to be able to do that for our group setting too. So, so we'll keep talking about this stuff, but if you guys have, if anyone has a question that you want to you're dying to get Mike to share, and then Mike, if you have anything you'd like to say before we close up, but I want to make sure we have a little bit of time to um, just pray for you and pray for, the fall and all that kind of stuff.
1: Anybody? Yeah. And as you guys are thinking about questions, I'll, I'll just make one comment first. And that is sometimes we think mission has to be uh, really intense that we have to spend a ton of time, like a ridiculous amount of time. My observation here where we're at, and you've got to think about your own context, but here in, in the Northeast, if I hang out with someone once a month-ish, I'm their best friend. Because the, the, the guys that I've connected with in my neighborhood probably see their closest friends three, four times a year. Uh, fantasy football draft, uh, Super Bowl, New Year's party, kid's birthday party. That's it. At three, four times a year, that's how often they see their closest friends. So if they see me, about once a month every 4 to 6 weeks i'm the person that they text when they're having an issue and and then if i'm texting them in between in the gaps you know and i keep seeing the same person every month every 6 weeks you know over time i watch the spirit just do incredible things it's consistency over time with the same people that have become friends and sometimes we just make it this weird we either want it to happen really quick in an event right so we kind of push it we we got to see god work right away or we or we feel like we have to be over aggressive if i try to hang out with the same people every week that don't share my faith they would think i was so weird because they don't hang out with anyone that frequently so you, you think about the frequency matters. What, what are kind of the natural rhythms where you could get together with people? Jump in there, Mark. So I encountered this today. How do we get people to be more concerned about reaching out to those who live around them than gathering in our small huddle of people that we're really comfortable with and want to go back into a big church where all our friends are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that we need to um, repent honestly and, and just be honest about the fact that we don't care about our neighbors and the people around us. Um, I, I think it's a great question to ask is, uh, do you, do you love your neighbors? Do you care about the people around you? Um, I remember that this whole journey has, has really, um, stretched me in some serious ways. I thought I loved everyone the same. And then when you get the homeless guy that comes into your house and, uh, he's, he's soaking wet because he walks to your place and then he sits down on your couch drenched in sweat he's been couch surfing for several nights right and, and then he's spinning around in circles and touching your ceiling and you're like this dude's so weird passes out asleep on your floor during the Super Bowl and you, you think you love everyone the same This guy's in your house and then you're thinking because he lingered he would, he, he was a lingerer and I'm going, when is this guy going to leave? Cause I want to turn the Phillies game on. And then he looks at me while my wife's bathing the kids upstairs and says, um, I always felt like I was invisible. And now I feel like I have a family. And, and then he leaves and I just like cry because in my mind, I just wanted the guy to leave because I wanted to watch the game. And this guy's going, I finally have a family. And I realized that I don't, I don't really like God is showing me how, how much I don't love people, how much I, 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 I want to be obedient and do the right things, but how much I actually lack love for the people around me or that I'm selectively missional. I, there are so many things that have been challenged. I, had some neighbors that were had given us a really hard time because of some of the people coming into our house. And I said, you know what? I'm going to love these people. Dang it, I'm going to love these people. So here's what I'm going to do. I went out to the Starbucks. I grabbed a, a gift card for my neighbors. And I'm like, I'm going to be kind to them, even though they've been jerks to me. I'm going to drop off this gift card and love them and hand this thing to them and then come home. And just complain about them on the couch to my wife, like these stupid jerks. You should have seen their face when I gave them the card. They didn't appreciate it. They were making the, this face at me and whatever else. And then I just had to, I just had to confess, God, I did, I did a loving thing in dropping off this gift card, but I don't love my neighbors. I mean, at best, I want them to move across the country at best. I want to send them out your way in California, (laughs) get rid of them. And, and, and then I, and then I had to just go, God, um, it, it it was almost like in the confession of that, that God started to, to change my heart and say, well, Mike, you can be a piece of work too. And I love you anyway. So why don't you just love your neighbor? And so I, I think confession is, is huge that we, that we admit and are vulnerable about the fact that we are selectively missional that when I, when I come into the neighborhood, they're, they're the three, four or five families that I pick out that I'm going to reach. How many people do we overlook? You know, it, it's actually the, the oddballs and the weirdos that actually have the time and we're more open to us and they've become some of our closest friends and they've given us some of the weirdest experiences. I mean, when I'm, Sitting at a at a pub with a guy in my in my micro church who's very off the wall weird. He's got prophetic gifting. He really does. He wasn't a believer. He came to faith as a part of our micro church. But we're sitting at this pub, and I've got a neighbor guy with me. There's probably ten of us around the table watching March Madness, and this and this guy this guy turns to my neighbor who gets the hiccups. And in the middle of this place, lays his hand on him and says, in the name of Jesus, hiccups come out. And I'm sitting there like, what on earth is this? And my neighbor guy starts like crying and he goes, they're gone. The hiccups are gone. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no category for this. This guy just cast the hiccups out of my neighbor. I have no category for this. And I I think that sometimes we you know we have a vision for how we want things to to play out but it's way what God wants to do is so much weirder and and more bizarre and uncomfortable and is going to stretch us and we just have to admit that w- we don't really love our community or love people that are different than us or even care about people outside of us or that don't benefit our own interest. And so I think really it's a, it's a time for confession that if we say that we love Jesus, but we don't love our neighbor, well, who's my neighbor. And you don't get to pick, right? Look around at your neighborhood and just grab a net and scoop up your neighborhood. That's what the kingdom looks like. And we we should represent in our in our communities just a random sampling of what we see down the street well I, don't don't do you feel that your knowledge of god has increased due to the fact that there's that diversity within your community oh my goodness yes absolutely yeah i i've been challenged stretched and and grown more over over the past several years my whole life easily yeah it's been incredibly stretching and and humbling i i just realized how how messed up and broken i am and how far i have to go so many so many nights just uh feeling deeply deeply humbled for sure so cool
0: um All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to call it there. It's midnight where Mike is. So, um, let's do that. But, um, as I said, we're going to, we're going to try to get together and do a few, um, podcast episodes. If you guys have questions that you'd like to hear Mike kind of speak further on, why don't you just text or email me some of those questions. And then when we get together, we can kind of drill down on those specifically. But I just want to say as we, as we get ready to pray here. you know, the, the future like is so uncertain with everything with COVID and we're, we're doing this dance of trying to figure out, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what do we, what's the best way to gather, um, so that people can see each other and feel like part of the big thing. And, and, you know, we're, we're freaking out all that stuff. One thing that I know is for sure, re- like regardless of how long COVID lasts, regardless of what our big expression looks like in the future, um, gospel communities are the heart of this thing still. And everything that Mike is talking about, like our heart is there are people that need Jesus and we have that good news, right? We, we are part of these these little communities that can embody that good news. And we need to be bringing folks into that. And so I just wanna encourage all of you guys, you have been amazing. You have flexed beyond anything I could have, like if I had put this on your job description when you agreed to be gospel community leaders, like I'm pretty sure you would just would have walked away because of how much we've had the flex and everything. And I just, I'm so thankful. And I just want just to say, so if there's, um, if there's anything you need, if there's support you need, if there's questions you have answered, if you um, need a break, if you need a retreat, like just tell me what you need and we will take care of you. Um, but I also just want to say like, this is still the heart of it all. And whatever we lose, whatever we have to shuffle and figure out, I do not want to lose um, both the community that we're building through our gospel communities And that gospel sent out by Jesus side of it, like that is, I'm convinced where we need to grow the most. And, and so that's what I'm praying for, for all of us. It's why I'm so glad that Mike was able to share tonight. Um, but just to be able to, to have us have this freedom in Jesus, to see who he is, to, to believe the mission that he sent us on. And then to just ask the spirit of God, like send us out and use us in all the weird ways, just like Mike was saying, all the weird ways that that he wants to work. And so, um that's what I'm praying for this is where we're headed um let's just every ounce we put into this is not a wasted energy at all um this is where we're we're headed and um yeah I'm just thankful for everything you guys are pouring into this so let me let me pray for us and then um you guys can I don't know what watch Netflix and eat ice cream or something Lord thank you so much for this group of people Lord thank you that that you have called and redeemed um, each person here on this call or that that is something that I confess to taking for granted but Lord I'm just I'm just renewed and I'm touched again at the thought Lord that you love us so deeply that you pursue us wherever we are that we can never outrun you Lord that your grace um, finds us and covers us and transforms us and sends us out and so Lord I pray for us as we um, as we all individually are struggling with 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 everything the financial implications of covid the the isolation that has come with it the confusion that's come with it the frustration um some of us are you know trying to figure out a completely different way of schooling for our kids um there's pressures with with work and family and everything lord all of this and lord in the midst of that trying to light this fire under the people even trusted to our care trying to keep people living for the mission when um, when when really our whole society is trying to kind of fold up and, and look inward. Lord, I pray that you would give us supernatural empowerment or give us clarity in our mission that you've given us. Help us to have confidence in who you've made us to be, who you've gifted us to be. I pray for those people that are part of our group that you would just set us on fire like you did at Pentecost. Send us out, help us to have this clear sense of what it is, like who you are to us, who you are to every person that we encounter. and We can have so much confidence to share that. Lord, I I pray for those specific people that are around us. Lord, I pray for my specific neighbors. I picture their faces and I just ask, Lord, would you show yourself real to them? Would you nudge me? Would you guide me? Would you free me from my addiction to comfort to help me just to say, Lord, what you want me to say, when you want me to say it, and have confidence in you? and in the grace that you give. So we lift this up to you, Lord, and I want to pray for Mike. And I thank you so much for his heart. Thank you for the journey you've put him on. Thank you for how faithful you've been to him. And I just pray for him. Pray for the the micro churches that that his group has um, within it. I pray for the Creo Collective. I just pray for all this, that this would be a movement of your spirit, Lord, where you shake us free from tired forms, things that we've clung to or maybe you're, maybe you're not working in that way in all this, the same ways that you used to, and you're leading us into something new here. Um, I just pray for Mike that you give him strength and endurance, give him fruit as he just continues to, to minister and serve. And I just thank you that he has blessed us tonight. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.